0: i'm aunt kelly anakin i'm molly of mitchell sanchez we're
1: here to take birth control and talk about the handmaid's tale we are all out of birth control thanks trump
0: this is red all over your handy handmaid's tale recap blessed be the fruit Whee!
1: um out of curiosity what's your birth control stitch these days what's going on down there oh so
0: luckily i um i switched to the iud about are you on are you on paraguard are you
1: on the uh the i am on
0: the kylena because grandma likes a little bit of hormonal birth balance control yeah, yeah, in yeah. there. um the only unfortunate side effect is it fucked my face up <laughs> like oh yeah i never got hormonal acne in my life and now you do and now my jawline's going crazy i have this weird like pit of despair zit right by my mouth
1: oh honey um Yes. If it makes you feel any better, I
0: have not noticed any of that. Thank you. Like I've yeah. learned to, I've learned why people wear foundation. Yeah, um. <laughs> so because they have problem skin. So yeah, my face is a wreck. It. I used to skip my period, uh, and now I faithfully have one every month. And the first few days are like kinkai meia horrible period. My vagina it feels like it's going to mm. leave my body. Um, but uh, it, it, better than being pregnant. And good thing to have something inside my body. For five years that the government can't yank out of me I hope <laughs> I mean yeah I can give it time Are you asking you me ever this seen Prometheus? Are um, you asking me this because I'm currently sitting on your couch Like making love to a heating pad Yes
1: <laughs> indeed I was But I'll, you know we talk about the birth control In uh, our cute little stinger And I'm yeah. just like what's going on I'm, What's going on with you I'm on uh Nessa low Ooh. Um, Try Nessa low today Kinda uh, So I always thought I couldn't do hormonal birth control because Mm. when I tried it back in the early, not the mid aughts, Mm -hmm. um, it broke my vagina. Oh no. And I developed, uh, vulvodynia and vulvar vestibulitis. Shout out to my chronic pain sufferers. (laughs) What, what, what? (laughs) Um, I'm just saying I see you because it's a horrible thing to have happened to you. Like I had just been married and like almost a year to the day after I got married, like my vagina was Uh like, bitch. (laughs) And it took a really long time to figure out what the problem was. Mm. Um, at any rate, so I was like, okay, maybe this isn't for me. And I tried a couple other times and not so much. So I was mainly like a condom pull and pray. Well, I'm a Catholic, you know, you're going to pull and pray. Um, <laughs> um, but I never got pregnant except for one time when I kind of like half meant to get pregnant. And then that fetus was like, bitch, you are not ready. For this, and it was like, "Peace out." I was like, "Bye." Um, that was a miscarriage. That was a fun story about. A no, miscarriage. I think we got. Yeah, what that was sure. <laughs> and I
0: was like, "What does she mean?
1: <laughs> Fetuses can't talk. Oh. Uh, if a fetus could talk, that sounds like a horrible anti-abortion movie." <sighs> um, Don't. Anyway, somewhere, someone perked up. They're like,
0: "I've got a great idea. <laughs> I've got an impressive movie." <laughs> I hate giving that person ideas. <laughs>
1: so anyway i was like okay cool and like i was like I, but you know it wasn't just pull and pray like i was using like fertility awareness method but like kind of half-ass which is where you take your temperature you oh, yeah. chart this is your- the woman that
0: claims she knows like how her cervix feels at different mm-hmm. times of the month yeah so. Uh, and you can like your control not look a little different Fuck like, with you that them look
1: different and uh but you gotta like ah, you gotta stick your fingies up in there oh, yes and for some reason i'm very opposed to touching my own cervix
0: i've been listening to our stu- i'm like i
1: want to pay someone to touch my cervix
0: i've been listening to one of my favorite podcasts which is vicious cycle and they uh it's a podcast about periods and the people who get them weren't you um, just on that i was oh. yeah um and the, they were talking they had a whole series where they each tried menstrual cups and it sounded harrowing, and I know you use it every month without batting an eye. So I do. I take my hats off to you. Okay, so I
1: I got on Tri-Nessa Low. Mm-hmm. I always think maybe it's called Tri-Low Nessa, but I don't think so, because I think the low is like the suffix. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's in the same family as mm-hmm. your ortho-tricyclin. Okay. But it's a very low-dose pill. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it qualifies as a micro pill, but no. basically... I'm getting a much lower dose of hormones, took care of my horrible hormonal acne, which I have suffered with since like late high school. Your skin looks great. Thank you very much. And it evened my moods out Mm. to a degree that I would have lived a different life (laughs) if my parents weren't anti-birth control Mm -hmm. fanatics. They Mm -hmm. think it's horrible. They think it's a sin. Like even to this day, if I'm going to be traveling, I like hide it. And I don't want them to see it. Yeah. Um, Super fun. But like I was a psycho hose beast with regularity when I ovulated and like (laughs) the day before I was going to get my period. And now I'm seeing it come back like a smidge. Um, I think I was just so elated when it started to work that I was like, mm. thank God. Mm-hmm. But it just it just like, whoo, just calm me the fuck down, which is a relief.
0: That's nice. Um, well, you know,
1: it's not going to help with that. Uh, yeah. This podcast we're about to <laughs> record. I'm like, it's a testament to how horrifying uh-huh. everything we're about to talk about is Uh, because we are like, let's willingly discuss our periods and birth <laughs> control just for funsies. <laughs> oh, also, though, one last thing because i've been recommending this birth control to people who are like i can't do hormonal birth control i'm like i was like you once (laughs) uh my period's now super light lovely no crampies um i do get a horrible migraine almost without fail the 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 bye week for those of you who are sports fans Uh um where my non-active pills when you get your period oh yeah yeah so that's not great and mm. i can minimize it if i take a yoga class and i didn't this week and mm. the f- fires are still happening so Oof. uh Hard anyway to breathe deep it's been a really it's been a rough week for me it's <laughs> been really really again checking my privilege my house wasn't burned down you, you i'm not dead. still have a rough week i yeah yeah <laughs> anyway okay so this is gal's guide to gilead part five we didn't think there would be a part five i know i teased on turns out there's been so much horrendous human history (laughs) we had to have two episodes so not nice we did it twice
0: (laughs) (laughs) hopefully you guys enjoyed that because if not we're just giving you some more shit you didn't ask for
1: did you hate it when we poured literal poison into your ears for an hour good news there's more of that i don't know the whole the history channel exists and this is all they do yeah i mean that in and Aliens.
0: Oh, and that wonderful Bigfoot documentary. (laughs) (laughs) What if this was a time when you found out that I had a favorite Bigfoot documentary? (laughs) Honestly, not that off-brand. I was
1: going to say, wouldn't surprise me. Secondly, I am just like... I know that you're suffering right now, but the way that you're clutching that heating pad to your abdomen, you are adorable. Like, it's so cute. I love it. It's so adorable. I am,
0: for the listeners, I cherish you. I am, thank you. I cherish you too. I'm like fully prostrate on her couch. I'm barely sitting up. There's a heating pad clutched to my belly. In earnest. And um, yeah, so uh, I love you very much. Otherwise, I wouldn't show you yeah. my vulnerable underbelly like this. Listen,
1: and her <laughs> un- underbelly is under a heating pad. Yeah. Uh, we're both perioding right now. Oh, we are? Yeah. Aww. I'd say that we were synced up, but that's apparently A, myth, and B, I'm only synced up with you because I tried to fuck around and <laughs> pill stack to avoid my migraine. Didn't work. Bled for two weeks. Don't do that. <sighs> Ugh. Pill stacking's a young woman's game. I'll tell you what. <laughs>
0: I like to put them at the bottom of my yogurt and just <laughs> swirl them together. It's a lovely crunch. Don't uh, don't do that, everyone. Okay, just take
1: your pills as prescribed. Alrighty. Look, I, I don't want to get sued because somebody got pregnant. So Taylor's all this time. Fair
0: enough. All right. Well, let's jump into Gals Guide to Gilead episode four, the real life edition, I where mean, we're discussing real life events. That uh, inspired the Handmaid's Tale TV show and or book. So I thought this was episode five. Did I not say five? You said four. I mean, it could be 4B. Numbers are irrelevant. Numbers
1: are a tool of patriarchy. They kind of are. Um.
0: (laughs) Anyhow. Don't at me. This is an episode. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Spoiler alert! This is the third episode we've recorded uh, in this sitting, so a oh, little let's, real
1: loose. Let's try to be respectful to all the people who died, so we could have this podcast. Oh, jeez!
0: Isn't that what we're doing? I guess. Uh, <laughs> let's get right into it. Uh, Do you want to? Let's
1: kick it off in everybody's favorite Middle Eastern country, Saudi Arabia. So this is from an interview with the New York Times the Saudi American poet uh, Madhya Gama she basically said she couldn't sleep after watching the opening episodes of the Handmaids Tale and she says that for women in Saudi Arabia many of the events of the show aren't distant history or faraway the future they are their day-to-day reality. She says most Saudi Arabian women are banned from voting, driving and interacting with the opposite sex unsupervised. They can't travel or study without the permission of a male guardian. Usually their father, husband, or son, and they have little or no financial independence. Uh, She says, it raised thoughts I literally never tell my Caucasian friends because what Offred the Handmaid lived as some cautionary tale felt very much like my lived reality. One woman's dystopia is another woman's reality.
0: Ooh, put that on a shirt.
1: Yeah. I also want to issue a mild correction because I ascribed the things from here to Iran in the last episode. Oh, I'm not sure that that's accurate. It could
0: be accurate. I'll find out. That's so interesting to me because uh, we were just talking about in the last episode about how it's important that we as Western people not just like demonize people that we don't know in cultures we don't know and paint with such broad strokes uh, as to say like we are not doing the Handmaid's Tale and they are doing exactly. the Handmaid's Tale so we're not saying that but we're well, just saying in <laughs> this poet's experience the other that is true. the other
1: thing is like. What concerns me is if you are a non-Muslim person and you're saying this, like, (laughs) you may not know that there are a lot of different countries that would consider themselves to be Muslim countries. Mm -hmm. And you would assume that every woman in every Muslim majority
0: country is living this way. This also reminds me, too, this particular passage reminds me of a part in a book that I started way too late, which is The Power <gasps> by Naomi
1: Owens. Yes! The best book. Holy so good, guys. Put that on your wish list for the holidays.
0: If you're like me and thought, like, yeah, 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 everybody likes this book, I, I, I have plenty of time to get to it. You don't. It's You need to read it now. It's incredible. It's so
1: good. I'm going to reread it. But they have a
0: chapter that, like, almost made me scream aloud in triumph in this ramen restaurant I was in yesterday (laughs) because it's about the women of Saudi Arabia uh, using their powers to overthrow the government. And it is gorgeous. Um, Also, whilst we
1: were talking, I did look up women's permissions in Iran. So they Mm. are allowed to, like, drive and vote and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, Anyway, yes. So I apologize to any of our iranian or persian Mm -hmm. redheads for misattributing that
0: yeah we're not perfect we're just trying really hard (laughs) we're
1: not perfect we're just put that on our shirt i would love to so that's like the official position of this podcast is like hey if you want to say a thing is like the handmaid's tale you better be living it Yeah, ding
0: dong and if so
1: I mean, unless can it's in the context you? where we're like saying these historical events inspire right. the handmaid's tale. Fair. Uh, I have a complicated serial killer board all about yeah, yeah. who can say what about what and when. Right. Um, <laughs> but freedom of speech.
0: All right. <laughs> Should we move on to the next topic?
1: <laughs> oh, great.
0: Yeah. All right. This no, is. Absolutely. A- Horrifying one. Let's talk concentration slash extermination camps in Nazi Germany. um Everybody's favorite subject. We don't need to belabor
1: this one because I feel like it's one of the ones you know what it is. Yeah, it's very,
0: people know it's it's a almost a trope at this point. It's almost this, a trope, and yet genocides are still occurring, and, and yet people don't believe this genocide occurred. Oh my god! Fuck that. Um. Anyway, you know the story. World War Two Nazis, who are also apparently still a thing. Oh, my Jesus God. Jesus Christ. Round up all kinds of people they disagreed with, largely uh, people who are practicing Judaism. But we got some gypsies and some homosexuals and some Black all kinds folks, of people. They here. got,
1: you know, anyone who was an Aryan. Exactly. Uh, which were people who it varied a bit as they kind of, you know, their empire grew exponentially on the continent of europe but people who were of definitively german stock Mm -hmm. they believed that a lot of countries surrounding germany were also part of germany right um because germans never know when to give up
0: oh boy so Uh, anyway all of these poor people are rounded up and put in concentration camps and either worked to death or exterminated in huge numbers so you had a point about Mm -hmm. this you wanted to talk about
1: I was not aware of this so according to Wikipedia Holocaust Mm -hmm. scholars draw a distinction between concentration camps and extermination camps Mm. the extermination camps were established by Nazi Germany for the industrial scale mass murder of Jews in the ghettos by way of gas chambers Um, so that was when they basically came up with the final solution and they were like okay we have stripped most jewish people of their their citizenship um they had gotten enough buy-in on the idea that literally every problem germany had ever had was the fault of jewish people and people either agreed with that or were too afraid to die to Mm -hmm. disagree with them and they had to decide once they had rounded everybody up like what are we gonna do here Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so that was what they decided. And, oh, God, it just makes me so sick. And well, I watched this movie. God, what was it even called? But it was like it was the the meeting during World War II where all of the top Nazi brass got together and decided – on The Final Solution. Is
0: this the one that was a meme a while ago?
1: No, the one with Hitler yelling? (laughs) No, 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 because Hitler's not in this one. Oh, okay. We covered it on my other podcast, and I'm still to this day not entirely sure that movie needed to get made. Oof. But...
0: I don't know, but it's just I mean, it's, it's do, let's it's, ask ourselves, do like 50 percent of the movies about World War Two need to get made? Mm. I'm looking at you, darkest hour.
1: I don't This one was super freaking
0: weird, though, Ugh.
1: because it was it was basically a dramatization of a boardroom meeting. Oh, my God. But it's these guys all talking about why Jewish people are a problem. Oh, and the one guy you're like, oh, this guy seems like maybe he's the least bad Nazi. So, do we need a movie where there's a least bad Nazi? No, but then he actually turned out to kind of be the worst Nazi. Uh, that's like, how they get you. Yeah. Oh my god. Anyway, it was it was part of like the, I think like the 50th anniversary of I can't even remember what, but it was like there was like all this Holocaust programming they produced in the UK. It was Mm -hmm. produced in part with HBO. I'll try to find the name of it. They were always going to work them to death, which from an economic perspective is not a good plan. Like, oh, we're going to work these people until they die, but then you can't replace your workers. Like, well, reminds you of, uh the colonies, of mm-hmm. course. I mean in the wall to an extent. Oh yeah. I won I wonder, and it hasn't been brought up, but it's like were there more I mean, well, in, in the Boston Globe, mm-hmm. there were I don't I don't know if we can call them like mass exterminations, but I mean definitely Well, okay, and that church. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were definitely doing it, but it's like I don't know that they had at that point in the war, they had camps that they were right. taking everybody to. But I mean, I guess also the Red Center is a forced labor
0: camp. Oh, for sure. Um, oh, absolutely, and yeah. So you know, the colonies, the Red Center. I feel like Handmaid's Tale is replete with World War II uh, well, symbolism and-, and sort of ideas, and and even even from things like uh, this gets brought up in our discussion a lot about the sort of like fertility prizes. That were going on the very like nationalistic German like fertility prizes that were going on. That's like we see shades of that in The Handmaid's Tale too. So um, I think perhaps we can wrap this particular bullet up by saying World War II. Influence this book a bunch. Yeah. Margaret
1: Atwood is a child of World War II. She was born in 1939. The ideas and the, the... political situations that led to world war ii were never far from her mind yeah and i think that's true of a lot of people from the quote-unquote greatest generation Mm -hmm. well i give them a lot of shit yeah a for like nicknaming themselves the greatest generation (laughs) i and we've talked about this on the podcast before but like just you know the whole the whole molly from american girl dolls thing where it's like you had a victory garden and just like you had blackout curtains and like e- that war was so present in everyone's life in a way that we just don't understand. Yeah. And because we are locked in all these endless wars, but they're all so far out of our sphere.
0: And well, and our generation lacks context, too, because of how tropey World War Two mm-hmm. is it like it doesn't seem like a real thing to us because we're like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's like in that movie. I've seen a bazillion what I will say about, about it. it
1: is that because I just recently, I just recently listened to the History Chicks podcast episode about Anne Frank. And if you need a reminder of how bad it was, all you have to do is do this kind of research or watch that movie. Mm-hmm. What the fuck was it? It's going to drive me nuts. I'll find out what it was before we're done with this. But um, yeah, yeah just like it was real bad. True. And there's a lot of this stuff that is going on today. So what <sighs> my recent foray back into World War II scholarship reminded me was, hey, look at what's going on today, you know, what can I do
0: that's to a, make things better. I think that's is the thing I want us to take away from both of these Gilead episodes and from reading the Handmaid's Tale at Large is like, what can we do to try and stop this kind of Thing from happening what is within our power and i think it starts small in like supporting people mm-hmm. and listening to your fellow women uh and it goes bigger from voting and from participating actively in policy and by like listening to voices outside of your sphere so uh also, yeah
1: if anybody in your life tries to tell you that voting doesn't accomplish anything uh tell them about the iranian revolution
0: <laughs> Ooh. Yeah.
1: Huh? Oh, that huh? was artful. Thank you. uh Also, that movie I was referring to was called Conspiracy. It came out in two thousand one. It starred Kenneth Branagh and Stanley Tucci, and of course, it, every British actor you've ever heard of. <laughs> uh, very, very, very upsetting. Very upsetting. I, my stomach hurts just thinking about it.
0: You know what else is upsetting? Mm. This next bullet point, which I simply chose. This is the only one that I wrote. <laughs> I know,
1: and I, I was like, uh, "Can you do this?" Because I don't
0: know what you're talking about. So I, this bullet point says that one time in World War II when they cut French ladies' hair off, and that was a super <laughs> flippant way to refer to this horrifying incident, which is in fact referenced on page sixty-five of the trade paperback version Ooh, of The Handmaid's damn. Show. Oh, yeah. We got a real-ass citation oh, in here. If you did not think that I would cite something. <laughs> so this uh, comes in the point of the book when Alfred is getting ready for her first ceremony that we see. She's getting out of the bathtub and she says this, or she thinks this. I pull the plug, dry myself, put on my red terry cloth robe. I leave today's dresses here where Cora will pick it up to be washed. Uh, the white headdress isn't necessary for the evening because I won't be going out. Everyone in this house knows what my face looks like. The red veil goes on, though covering my damp hair and my head, which has not been shaved. Where did I see that film? About the women kneeling in the town square, hands holding them, their hair falling in clumps. What have they done? It must have been a long time ago because I can't remember. Here's what they done.
1: So... <laughs> More like Molly (laughs) Seitches.
0: So this is based off of a famous picture and like there is film footage of something that happened during the liberation of France in 1944. And according to this article that I read, it said once a city, town, or village had been liberated by allies of the resistance, shearers would get to work. In mid-June, the market day followed the capture of the town of the women of Keratinan. a dozen women were shorn publicly. And what they did was something called collaboration horizontal, which basically means these were women accused of sleeping with occupied forces. Mm -hmm. Very similar to the comfort women Mm -hmm. that we talked about in the first uh, Real Life Gilead episode. So these were women who were accused of sleeping with the enemy. And what is interesting to note about this is this article makes note that A large number of the victims of these shavings were prostitutes who had simply plied their trade with German as well as Frenchmen, although in some areas it was accepted that their conduct was professional rather than political. So what that means is sometimes like working sex workers Mm -hmm. were shaved too. And it reminds me a lot of that notion in the Handmaid's Tale book, especially of like kind of nobody in society minded when sex workers were the targets Uh of this kind of rounding up and violence. And so uh, sort of sex workers being sort of the first people to be hurt is -hmm. like a very uh, resonant theme in The Handmaid's Tale and and in real life. And also in life. And in life. My next note says, oh, hi, it gets worse. Oh, goody. Uh, (laughs) I was worried things might be looking up. It says, uh, women accused of having had an abortion were also assumed to have consorted with Germans and were also shaved so this is fucked up and i oh won't-
1: oh you're pregnant in france and your soldier husband is off god knows where exactly and you don't have any food yeah oh dear i mean but also a german raped you yeah. oh dear or just a german had sex with you and you like did it to survive like yeah. it's a very like
0: sort of I think this reminds me of themes in The Handmaid's Tale because it's like when men's idea of like purity coincides with their sense of like patriotism or nationalism. Mm-hmm. It's like you ceded ground to the enemy, mm-hmm. not realizing that there are plenty of reasons why it wasn't a choice. That's why I call my uterus no man's land. <laughs> But I think it gets brought up in the Hamming's Tale in that particular instance to show this is like Alfred is very much getting ready to sleep with the enemy and she very much doesn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. So and she later in the chapter starts thinking about um, this woman she saw in a documentary who was a mistress of a Nazi. So this chapter wants us to think about how how maybe even we view Alfred. Mm hmm. This reminds me of something that a particularly troubling sentiment I see sometimes in Handmaid's Tale discussion that's like, if I was a handmaid, I would just escape and I would kill the commander and I would do all of this stuff. I don't know why Offred's putting up with this. Cute, cute, it's cute, like, cute. Do you not understand how this kind of stuff works? It's just like you don't – there are so much nuances to women's and women's sexuality, especially in times mm-hmm. of – oppression that there's no way that you could say that that's a really reductive way to think of that I firmly
1: believe literally none of us know yeah what we would do Mm -hmm. under threat of death or even threat of pain oh yeah until
0: it is a reality yeah absolutely and yeah yeah. so that's that specific instance on page 65 and I think it's really interesting
1: I think this this has even just a larger resonance in terms of I mean we know one of the primary disciplinary forces that the ants use Mm -hmm. is physical mutilation Mm -hmm. and they aren't just cutting people's hair off no from anything that we've seen hair cutting is not a good thing for the women because offred's hair is so long Mm -hmm. compared to what we know her hair was like in pre-gilead they will flay your feet they will take out your eye they will cut off a hand They will do all of these things to your body that are permanent and they will further punish you by not letting you eat cake when the Mexican ambassador is in town. Why do we like this book? (laughs) Because it's amazing. Yeah. And also, again, there's just like this double standard because it's like, okay, did you I mean, did you do anything to the male shopkeepers who sold goods to them i mean it it may all be like a bureaucratic nightmare of like things being impounded and stuff like that but it's just like everybody is doing what they have to do and again though this is war that we don't understand because we have drones now like the immediacy of the enemy the immediacy of opposing forces no longer exists and yeah it's uh it's a lot a lot. That's an understatement. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the SS, the Schutzstaffel. Very good. Thank you. I just learned that the way that you see it written is basically like these lightning bolts and those are actually Arminen runes. Oh, neat. I don't know if that's like an ancient German thing. Aha. Yes. Okay. Arminen runes are a series of 18 runes closely based on the historical younger Futhark introduced by Austrian mysticist and Germanic revivalist Guido von List in Das Geheimnis der Runen. In English, The Secret of the Runes. These were published in 1906 and 1908. And he said that these people were... The people who came up with these were uh, Aryan priest kings. So knowing what we know about <laughs> Nazis, A, loving everything Aryan. Right. Um, but also they were very into the occult and mysticism and they believe very strongly in like witchcraft and magic. So Ooh. this... Whew, Good times for them uh, discovering these runes. The literal pronunciation of Schutzstaffel is Protection Squadron. And so they were a paramilitary organization under Adolf Hitler. They started early on as basically security guards uh, for party meetings, for I... Nazi party meetings in Munich. And then... In 1925, Himmler joined the unit, and he was the one in charge of the SS pretty much from there until the regime's collapse in 1945. Um, they were domestic terrorists, oh, basically. You don't say. they. I do say. Uh, they terrorized <clears throat> the entire country of Germany and occupied territories thereafter. Uh, they were also the most responsible for the Holocaust. yeah All of its branches participated in war crimes and crimes against humanity, and they exploited concentration camp inmates as slave labor. They were judged by the International Military Tribunal at Nuremberg, aka the Nuremberg Trials you've Mm -hmm. heard so much about, and they were classified as criminal organizations. The highest ranking surviving SS department chief was a man named Ernst Kaltenbrunner. He was found guilty of crimes against humanity and hanged in 1946. I didn't delve too deeply into like what happened to the lower ranking people. mean a lot of them died in the war but if you want more of a sense of the ss and how they developed and how they came to power i'm gonna like very tepidly recommend that you read the book in the garden of beasts by eric larson i did not like it nearly as much as devil in the white city i found that there were not really likable protagonists anywhere because like the American family that I think you're supposed to be rooting for, like the daughter who's like probably about your age, maybe a little older. Um, she thought the Nazis were fucking great mm-hmm. when they moved there. And then the dad was very skeptical of them. But like they just talked all the time about how he wanted to write his like historical like study of the Old South. And I'm just like, oh, Eric Larson, can you not can you not draw a parallel to the fact that he's lionizing? Yeah. And anyway anyway I'm just over this whole like oh the south like listen you know we get it gone with the wind Listen we
0: all like gone with the wind and we feel bad about it. Yeah. I mean maybe not all but I definitely
1: do. I do. Um I feel very bad yeah. but man I love that movie. <sighs> Alyssa Rose, I'll send you this thing. Alyssa Rosenberg wrote about like, it's OK. I'm not sure that it's accurate,
0: but it made I'll me feel better. I'll send you
1: one that Maggie Ellison wrote. That's oh, a
0: really good okay, uh, great. A section of it.
1: Anyway, if you'd like to join our chapter of Gone uh, with the uh, Wind apologists, uh, 2018,
0: ooh. Uh, we'll start a secret Facebook group. That's our next podcast called Gone Girls, where <laughs> <laughs> all we talk about is Gone <laughs> with the Wind.
1: Dying. That's hilarious. I brought up the SS because okay. they are very similar to the eyes, In The Handmaid's Tale. (laughs) Because the eyes exist outside of the Guardians and they exist outside of the angels, the soldiers at the front. Mm -hmm. And they're like a specialized force Mm. that is, you know, reporting to different people. They have secret horrible orders that nobody knows anything about. And that's fundamentally the role that the SS played. And another thing that you would get from uh, In the Garden of Beasts and presumably numerous of the (laughs) other bajillions of books that have been written about World War II is the fact that all of these different Nazi leaders had kind of their own armies Mm. within the Nazi regime. So they would play them off of each other. And it was like really weird. And look, they were look, not only were the Nazis morally bankrupt, horrible murderers, they were fucking weird. They were just weird dudes. Like they would all like be the weird dudes that like hung out in the basement and like didn't even have anything on the TV. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Gross. Well, Nazis are gross. Yeah. I think I think if history has taught us anything,
0: <laughs> Nazis are gross. Does this remind you a little bit of like the eyes? Yeah, that was what I said. No, I know, but like, okay. what do you think this means for the fate of like a Nick? Oh, sorry, I, I, mean, I should have been more clear.
1: You know, actually, what's really interesting that I've never thought about before, and I can't remember if it's brought up in the Professor Pioto talk at the oh, end of yeah. the historical mm-hmm. notes, but is like. What are the consequences to the people in Gilead? We know about the purges that happen while Gilead is still in power. Mm-hmm. But like, would somebody like Nick, regardless of his potential involvement with the resistance, like, does that get him hanged as a war criminal? Ooh, because we know he was with the sons of Jacob before their rise to power.
0: It's so um, going to be something to think about. But yeah, I mean, I I,
1: Nick absolutely does not survive
0: these purges. Like, let's not be no, no, no. ridiculous.
1: Um, <laughs>
0: interesting yeah so
1: it's i'm curious sort of what you know what what exists and when does gilead actually fall and does anybody
0: even give a shit by that point oof good good thing to keep out an eye out yeah
1: all right bruce miller season season 10 nope we'll be looking for it we'll be looking for it nope we won't
0: (laughs) we will not what's that hashtag again molly hashtag three seasons and no more for the love of god (laughs) let's move on to the KGB! Woo. Cool.
1: Which I don't think I had ever seen this written out before.
0: No, and gang, I am, there gonna, is no I'm going to give it a shot. All I right. watched a lot of the Americans, <laughs> so let's see, let's see what I can do. Be my guest, my Comité friend. Call me Ted
1: Gassudarstvenenoy Bezopastnosti. Let's call
0: it Bezos. We are shitting on Jeff Bezos a lot for somebody that just offered to prime me an air mask.
1: (laughs) uh, (laughs) You better have to because somebody else got you one. That's true. That's
0: true. That's true. Um, All right. So the KGB. uh, Not great. Uh, It translates roughly to a committee of state security and was the main security agency for the Soviet Union. From 1954 until its breakup in 1991. Which
1: to me is like, hey, comrades, uh, remember during war? Yes. Uh, Germans, uh-huh. they
0: had uh, secret police, yeah? I'm, I'm listening.
1: Yes, I, I think
0: also we should have secret police. Great idea. Yes. Ah,
1: done. Let us drink vodka
0: and play Tetris. Yes. Fucking trifling. <laughs> so trifling. <laughs> but if there's anyone we can make fun of, I believe it's the KGB. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what's and, that know, knock on we, your door? No, but oh, again, no. like let's not, like let's not. They
1: killed a lot of people, and yeah, yeah. yet somehow, and I, I guess it's Rocky and Bullwinkle. But I think of them as buffoonish, yeah, in a way that I don't think of the SS as buffoonish. I
0: I agree. Like the the PR around <laughs> Soviet Union secret organizations was uh, much. Uh,
1: well, and I mean, again, we grew up during
0: the Cold War. Oh, that's adorable. Uh, I grew up during the Cold War. <laughs> when were you born again? Uh, the year the KGB folded, nineteen ninety one. I'm not saying I had anything to do with it. Oh my God, you are almost a full decade younger than but me. But I feel like I have I to I always have with it. this
1: for some reason, despite the fact that I know more or less how old you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'm you. like, I am the fun dad because I'm like, oh, what are you? Like, you're like 25? Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. That's less fun when it's your real dad and you're like 14.
0: He's like, what are you, 12? <laughs> <laughs> dad. Um, Dad, I'm 14. Their military service gr- governed by army laws and regulations in the same fashion as a Soviet army. Uh, while most KGB archives remain classified, two online documentary sources are available. Cool, check uh, that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think we've got another you know set of like scary get you in the middle of the night And where forces.
1: they are different okay. from
0: the SS. Yes. So
1: the SS were domestic terrorists primarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, apart from the fact where they invaded a whole bunch of other countries and went in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the KGB was much more of a shadow organization oh. than the SS. I mean, like the KGB, like they do have official. And again, most of my information is literally coming from like having watched the Americans. <laughs> so like, eh. so, you know, the, the KGB, was an official organization, but it was also understood that there was this like clandestine uh. aspect to their work. Cause like it says here that their main functions were foreign intelligence, counterintelligence, operative, investigatory activities, guarding the state border of the USSR and guarding the leadership of the central committee of the communist party and the Soviet government uh communications and combating nationalism i mean i guess they okay uh dissent and anti-soviet activities oh nationalism ie the individual countries right not. right not right. not the umbrella yeah, okay okay got it. Uh, not the anyway, union as it were fun fact vladimir putin worked at the kgb in leningrad and <sighs> there there are theories that the kgb never truly dissolved and that they have become an even more clandestine organization and i mean they did hack our elections so oh. you know what kgb i'm sorry i called you buffoonish i like mean, be I careful gotta, yeah. i gotta tip my fur hat to you uh you got us you got us real bad oh i'm depressed yeah <laughs> listen um why don't you uh, wash that taste out of your mouth with a little ethnic cleansing
0: kelly elizabeth anna I want to laugh at that. I know. Truly in my heart do.
1: It's objectively quite funny. (laughs) I know. Objectively, that was very funny. But you know what? I apologize for my hilarious joke.
0: (laughs) Son of a bitch.
1: So ethnic cleansing is not particularly different from the behaviors that we talked about in Nazi Germany in terms of extermination of an entire race. Or, for example, you know, white Europeans coming to America and killing directly or indirectly all of the native peoples who lived here. Uh, This is perfect timing for this episode. I know. I'm happy for (laughs) (laughs) Or British people going into Australia and decimating the population of aboriginals who live there. Mm. The term ethnic cleansing is this sort of weird pc term hmm. that was popularized in the 1990s um god you're so young uh, <laughs> have you ever heard of Zelata's diary oh my gosh she was the uh anne frank of the yugoslav wars
0: oh interesting
1: um wow. she got out oh good um people found out she was like keeping this diary and the western world was like oh we should like not kill anne frank this time yeah uh, a bunch of other people died mm. like the wars were horrible And Hmm. I think that region has never really recovered. But anyway, that is what I remember. I remember Slobodan Milosevic and ethnic cleansing. We knew that Slobodan Milosevic was doing ethnic cleansing and Mm -hmm. we were supposed to help, except we weren't because everyone in my social circle hated Bill Clinton. Um, The early 90s. What a time. So what is horrifying to me and I and numerous other people Uh, They thought it before me, but I read their opinion and I said, yes, you are correct. (laughs) Um, We should not use the term ethnic cleansing. Oh, interesting. Because there is no international treaty that specifies a crime called ethnic cleansing. Um, In the broad sense, if you break it down and say like the forcible deportation of a population, that's sort of like the kindest, gentlest ethnic cleansing. Mm -hmm. Oh, and also actually in 1947, the partition of India and Pakistan. Oh, that would be another example that people might term ethnic cleansing. I can't I I don't even have time to get into that. But it's just like that's even more complicated because that was a situation where the government as the British Raj left, Mm -hmm. they drew borders for the three major religions in India They created the state of Pakistan for the Muslim citizens. However, when they started enforcing those borders, tremendous, horrific violence. And I think I said three religions. I meant two. Hindu and uh, Islam. Um, I'm just so Christiocentric. I can't imagine (laughs) there aren't Christians in (laughs) India. There was horrific violence in both Pakistan and India Mm. uh, that, you know, Muslims were killing Hindus in Pakistan and uh, Hindus were killing Muslims in India. Oh, no. Very horrible because people were trying to emigrate, you know, to the quote-unquote correct place for them. Right. Um. Sikhs, there was a third one. <laughs> the Sikhs, I think. I did a whole other podcast on it. We'll see if I'm correct. That's really interesting. Um, the human rights violations uh, that are integral to a stricter definition of ethnic cleansing are treated as separate crimes under oh. public international law. So basically, it's like we should call it forced deportation. We should call it genocide because there is no legal term where it can be prosecuted oh, internationally. I see. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Sorry. That I feel like that was not well explained by me. I am not even a, uh, I'm not even a community lawyer, let alone an international lawyer. It's this sort of like cosmopolitan rebranding.
0: Yeah. Uh, and
1: I I don't know, you know, I think it was probably as somebody who spends a lot of time thinking about language and like, how can we communicate things more efficiently? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's something a little more elegant to say ethnic cleansing versus forced deportation. Right. But I think forced deportation is accurate. It's like, hey, or, you know, forced deportation, forced relocation, extreme discrimination. Like there's all these things. None of it's good. None of it's good. (laughs) But it's like calling it ethnic cleansing. And again, very, this may just be me because of the age that I was when the right. Yugoslav wars were going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is so meaningless to me. Like, yeah. even as I knew what it was, like, just, I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's, it's like this god. Ga- you know, those, um, the bathroom glass that's frosted. Mm-hmm. Like when you say ethnic cleansing, that's what it looks like to me. Uh, you have
0: like kind of a hazy. Yeah. Kind
1: of like deliberately obscured. And I don't know why I feel that way. Since as a child, I had no idea what was being obscured. Right.
0: And this reminds us in The Handmaid's Tale. For me, it's coming out from the book Mm -hmm. when they, you know, send away, air quotes, the children of Ham. Uh huh. Yep. That is 100% correct. When they send away, air quotes, uh, Jewish people. So uh, messed up. Yeah. And actually, well, because we don't really know what happened to those folks. It's very sarcastic about sending them to africa in fact if do you want me to cite it because i could i bet do, I oh did
1: they send some because i know that they gave um jewish people the option to go to israel uh
0: yeah it's okay I don't, we don't we don't have
1: to. i'm also curious if in the show we might see some version of this with the people who are finding refuge in little america and in canada oh, interesting i cannot remember where i saw this if this was just a redhead discussion but like the the very real possibility of some if not all of those refugees being extradited yeah particularly we, we know that there are skirmishes along the Canadian border oh yeah that could result in full blown warfare particularly after the breakdown of diplomatic conversations with the Waterfords so anyway um yeah don't call it ethnic cleansing because it can't be prosecuted as such pew pew pew
0: <laughs> the next one we can go over this relatively quickly because and it's, it's the last one oh oh Blessed day, Molly. (laughs) Fukushima's
1: the last thing we're going to
0: talk about. Ah, you spoiled it, Fukushima. Now, originally we were thinking, like, why include this? Because this is something that happened in 2011, so Mm -hmm. it didn't inspire the book. It did not. But... We have conclusive evidence that inspired the show. So this is from a Vulture article, a 2018 Vulture article, talking about how the production designers came up with the colonies. The DP is talking about researching uh, environmental disasters, particularly the nuclear disaster at Fukushima in 2011. In that tragedy in Japan, they cleared the waste and put it in bags and stockpiled the bags in these huge mounds, said director of photography Colin Watkinson. So that is... a uh, the DP clearly saying that they uh, built the colonies to look like toxic waste sites like Fukushima. And we talked about how the waste in the colonies in the book is likely uh, a nod to Chernobyl and um, well, except it can't be
1: R- oh, because right, right. it predates right.
0: Sorry. So both of these are things that the book predates, but definitely served as inspiration for the show.
1: And in another and one the of movie. these articles about the colonies, one of the other production designers talked about basically the way that the colonies function and sort of what they would be doing with Mm-hmm. digging up these um you know the quote unquote waste is basically a contaminated layer of topsoil and i know yeah. we've talked about this on the uh-huh. podcast before but yeah. so basically this idea that they are trying to get to the non contaminated soil below right. although given the fact <laughs> that both chernobyl and fukushima like those places are freaking toast like yeah. i just i wonder how effective yeah. that is in terms of making it at all livable and i mean it's just like we can't once again maybe we shouldn't have split the atom
0: yeah i don't know because we we neglected to mention but like fukushima is another sort of nuclear power plant explosion that decimated the surrounding community and is still having reverberations this is Um, in
1: fyi i'm looking up will fukushima ever be habitable here are the auto results from google Will Fukushima contaminated the entire ocean? Will Fukushima kill us
0: all? Then we get, will Fukushima ever be habitable? And it's just a landing page that says, prob's not. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty bad. Yeah. It's it's
1: in all of our fish.
0: Jeez. According to this, uh, this Wikipedia article, it says... Uh, So uh, decommissioning the plant has estimated to cost tens of billions of dollars and last 30 to 40 years. Initial fears that contamination of the soil was deep have been reduced with the knowledge that current crops are safe for human consumption and the contamination of soil was not serious. However, in July and August 2013, it was discovered that radioactive groundwater has been leaking into the sea. So just fucking Um, happy 2018, everybody. Almost 2019. Oh, my God. Ah, uh, nuclear waste. Ruining lives every
1: year since we split the atom. Incidentally, I did just check to see if Fukushima and Chernobyl are... W- which is worse. Uh, it's still Chernobyl.
0: Oh, um, g- good? I, I don't know what to tell you. Is there is there a hotel on Fukushima? That's what I wanted to know. Based <laughs> uh, on our discussion of Chernobyl. There. I know there's a guy that lives there with all the cats. Um... So
1: the both are level seven nuclear accidents. I don't know what that means, but they say the health consequences in Japan so far, so far are less severe because there was more radiation released at Chernobyl, And hopefully I'm not talking out of my ass completely, but there had been, I think there also had been some developments in the type of nuclear materials that we were using. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of the uh, materials that were used at Fukushima have a a shorter half-life than the ones that were being used at Chernobyl.
0: But call me fatalistic. I don't think relatively slightly better than Chernobyl is a a ringing endorsement. So yeah, <laughs> we're fucked. We're fucked. We as a race are fucked. Oh my, oh my god. god! Holy fuck! We are so fucked. Pink. That's okay. We're okay. Uh, we are going to stay vigilant. We're going to stay informed. We're going to listen to each other and help each other. I don't think that that works against
1: nuclear radiation. Oh no no no! no. I think
0: I think friendship is the key to all
1: things. <laughs> i quote Clone High. Hey, you guys, love is an abstract concept. It can't knock down stuff. Say what? <laughs> say what? Say what? <laughs> well, yeah. I'll tell you what, Molly. This has been a truly delightful uh, uh, march through some of the darkest periods of human history.
0: I will say I love you very much because consistently on this show, we talk about really dark things in a way that strikes me as super intelligent, but also like I genuinely am having a nice time chatting with you <laughs> even though my vagina's on fire the world's on fire uh is this how the terrorists win i don't no. think so who knows what they all want all i meant to say is i'm having a good time i'm having a good time why don't we close this out though we had talked about
1: this oh, yeah, yeah. we are going to be on a break yeah we're going to take a little breaky poo there's one more s- fun episode coming out there is one more fun episode coming out mm-hmm whenever that happens yeah um maybe it's tomorrow i don't know who knows who knows the shadow knows he's not allowed in here anymore he knows what he did yeah um
0: but we are gonna take a break we're gonna take a break year. so
1: hey molly yeah what are you listening to podcast wise um especially if it's something that our redheads might be interested in to get them over this this holiday break we're taking
0: Absolutely. Well, I can't recommend any more. My friend's podcast, Vicious Cycle, uh, it's a podcast about periods and the people who get them. I've already shouted them out this episode already, but I think they're delightful. They're sketch comedy girls who do a lot of great research about periods. They do a lot of weird research about periods. They get great guests. They're amazing. They. I
1: bet psst. their research about periods is better than my research about these atrocities. Ah!
0: <laughs> <laughs> It's taught me a lot, and it's had good conversations, and they're fucking hilarious. So I say Vicious Cycle all the way is my podcast endorsement. Um, I also really have been liking going to sleep to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, which is a podcast which dissects Harry Potter as if it was Bible study. It's really great. And um, good one. The Vulture podcast dissecting comedy is a great, great podcast.
1: Cool. So I am always and forever... A, you must remember this, Stan. Karina Longworth, you are a weird, weird person, Even and this I boring season. Um, you know, I'm into it. Okay, I don't know. So much for her and Aaron Mankey on lore. It is at this point <laughs> their voices like. <laughs> I, yesterday on my way home, like I got to the end of my episode of Lore by Aaron Mankey. That's another one I'll recommend. And it was like just a bunch of like the tail ends of him doing like his sponsor break. Uh, and I was like, yes, tell I, me more about Casper Mattresses. Tell me more about Slack, Aaron yeah. Mankey. These are really old ones. I and do Slack like was still advertising on podcasts. Because I heard
0: Karina Longworth on another podcast, which I should have shouted out. And it was the first time I ever heard her real voice. I'm like, uh-huh.
1: damn. Oh really? Talk like that? Oh man, I'm so bummed because I kept like imagining her and Ryan Johnson like having dinner parties, and she'd be like, "Welcome to another (laughs) dinner party at Karina and Ryan's house. Would you like this meal that I prepared for you from Gobble?" <laughs> I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you. It's totally this. fine. I recently discovered a podcast called She's All Fat, Ooh. a body positive podcast. It's hosted yes. by Sophie Carter Khan and April K. Keo. I'm so sorry ladies I'm mispronouncing your names Yeah it's just two fat ladies They remind me a lot of us actually Um, I was going to recommend this to you in real life But then I forgot and so now I'm doing it on the podcast Nice It's really great They just had an episode about like fat stand-up comedians Um, And if you do follow me on Instagram You know I'm going through a lot of intense life changes um, Since I got into recovery for my eating disorder Two years and some change ago It's been a while but it's been really great to listen to them because a lot of the other ones that are out there, I would recommend this one called Food Psych. And that one is much more about like the psychology behind mm. eating disorders and like how to recover. But that one is hosted by like what they call like a Thin Ally. <laughs> um, I know, yeah, um, and she's great. Her name is That's- Christy Harrison, and she is a certified nutritionist, and she's very into intuitive eating. And she's had great guests, like Lindy West was on, oh, Igioma um, Aluo was on, I love her. yeah, and there's sisters-in-law, Sisters, yeah, I'm I my mind was blown. It's I was like, like, just such a brain trust. I'm like, does somebody have another sibling that I could just, Hey, I'm related to, you know? <laughs> um, so that one is really, really great. But I mean, if you're looking for something like fun, she's all fat talks about things like how to raise a body positive child. Oh, I love that. And yeah, it's just, it's nice. And they, they have a really fun thing where they call all their listeners, Hannah, to keep them anonymous, so, like, everybody who, like, sends them a voice memo where the question is like, hey, it's Hannah. It's so um, cute. Yeah, I mean, it's just – it's a really great space, especially mm. if you're, like, rejecting diet culture mm-hmm. and accepting your body mm-hmm. and, you know, coming to new awareness and all these things. It's just nice to have some buddies along for the ride. I love that. And last one, I referenced this earlier. I listened to their Anne Frank episode but the history tricks. They talk about women throughout all of history. Mm. I have not put nearly the dent that I want to – in their episodes but uh I'm really excited to check it out. Uh one of their hosts Beckett has been a long, like a long-time listener of my podcast. Oh, so yeah, cool. she's super awesome. Yeah, and like early episodes of the No Sleep podcast if you like a little <laughs> creepy time, they've gotten kind of overproduced. Mm-hmm. And like I just started listening to them like earlier this year and like mm-hmm. the old ones were really solid and like now I feel like uh, it feels like they're trying to be a little bit too Night Vale, mm. but without that unique special sauce that makes Night Vale mm. welcome. To, although I haven't listened to Welcome to Night Vale in forever, me neither. But it um, still remains. Good. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it's. good. I'm sure it's good. We're like, yeah, we're, you're doing fine, Cecil. You're great. I met him. Uh, oh my gosh,
0: we're in the same book together.
1: I know. Yeah. I'm so. I'm going to touch you later.
0: <laughs> not in a, a in a, kids, I'll ask, but kids, Molly, we gotta get I, off the line. <laughs> can I touch you?
1: Okay. Yeah, so I think that about does it. Yeah. We have wrapped up Gal's guide to Gilead. Oof. We all know the same amount about Gilead now because we are all about information and transparency. Our most ambitious project. Let's Honestly, be honest. this was a total bear. Let's never <laughs> do it again.
0: <laughs> okay. There's nothing more to know, quite frankly. Uh that's true. Well,
1: who knows what they're
0: gonna throw at us in season three. Oh, geez. Good lord. Good Oof. Lord. Well, huh. have a great holiday season. Stay safe. Stay sane. Take care of your stay girlfriends. Stay warm. Yeah, stay warm. Mm. Be nice it's so to dark each other. out. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Red All Over. You can find us on Venmo at Venmo.com slash Red All Over. And Nolite Teva Stardes Carbondorum. Dum, 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 dum